Talgo of Foudrin, Chapter 18, The Retreat The Medjurin banners were raised high in the air as King Eldir led his men west in the direction of the Umharan. They had buried their dead in two great rows facing Jadir. Madon wondered how many families would make the great journey here to see their loved ones' graves. How many from his own city? The men moved solemnly away from the volcano and the Freemarians joined them behind. Madon looked up at Jadir in hopes of spotting Talgo but did not see him. Perhaps the boy was busying himself with the remainder of his Skurg army. Madorn's heart was sorry with thoughts of Talgo's life. Heading west behind the Majirans, Madorn hoped that they would be out of sight of Jadir before the sun set. It was drawing near to the horizon in front of them and would disappear in a matter of minutes. When darkness came, their task would become difficult. Stay with me, Madorn ordered his men. He had chosen as wisely as he thought he could. Card and Halir were his most trusted advisers, wise in their own ways, and valiant fighters. He had also chosen Denegon, who had been in the king's service for many years, as Nikeel, a strong and silent man who was a friend to Madon. These men were the best that Framir had to offer. They would do well. Every now and then, King Eldir would glance back at Madon with hurtful eyes. War had all but been declared between Majir and Framir, yet now they travelled together in peace. Whatever the outcome of the battle against the master, when the kings returned to their thrones, things would never be the same again. When the moon was risen and the stars were shining, the armies of Freymir and Majira halted. Eldir rode to Madon. It is here that we part ways, Eldir said. I beg you once more to reconsider, Madon said. You will never defeat the master of Jura. The powers are too great. Then you should know that when I return to Majira... Freymir will fall with ease. Freymir is stronger than you give it credit for, Madon said. And so is Talgo of Foudrin. King Eldir laughed. Mayhap I will spare your life, Madon. You will make for excellent entertainment. Men of Majira, we turn south. King Eldir led his army away from Madon and disappeared into the Black Knight. Inside Jadir, the Skurgs crunched bones. The prisoners they had taken them from lay in pieces, pleading with the master of Jura to call his slaves off. He would not listen. Talgo, my dear, you must stop this. These people do not deserve to endure so much pain. Talgo was not in the mood tonight. He looked down upon his mother. They do not deserve it? And what of all the name-calling, the dire looks they gave me, the kicks, the punches, the spitting. All because I was born the son of a drunkard. I did not choose this. No, my dear sweet boy, Talgo's mother said. But you cannot become this. It breaks my heart to see my son be so cruel. You have no right to speak of such things, Talgo hissed. Where were you my whole life? 
Where were you when father beat me, when courts punished me, when Roy Scheinegar threw me down the well? I was afraid, Talgo, his mother wept. Your father had fists enough for the both of us, and I have the scars to prove. Am I to pity you now, O oh mother? Talgo had to raise his voice over the sound of screams coming from the villagers who lay with exposed bones from legs or arms. Some of them had lain like this for days, and although they were still breathing, they were not moving. The sound irritated Talgo. Why couldn't the fools just lie still and allow the skurgs to have their way? There was no escape for them, no point in putting up a fight of any sort to protest. Talgo has exacted his revenge personally upon his old teacher, Court. Court was brought to Talgo upon his request, his hands bound. The skurgs had made him kneel before the boy, who sat atop a makeshift throne made of rock, and wore the skurg king's bone crown. Court had refused to swear loyalty to Talgo in order to save his bones, as Talgo had known he would. Each time he refused, something was cut off. A finger, a hand, an arm, a leg. The bones were given to the gleeful skurgs who crunched upon them as Quartz watched on. Eventually, there was nothing left to take from Quartz but his head. Roish had been different. He was only a boy, like Talgo, or rather how Talgo had once been before. Roish had begged Talgo for his life, which had only made his suffering last longer. The bones were taken from the boy slowly, until he had finally and mercifully died of his wounds. The Skurgs seemed to approve of this new lifestyle, but Talgo's mother did not. On many an occasion, she would come to Talgo begging him to stop. She wanted him to free all the prisoners, to leave the Skurgs behind in his travel with her, not to Foudrin, but to some town or city far away, where together they could forget about their life in the village, and they could look forward to a brighter future. But Talgo had decided long ago that as long as there were people, he would never be happy. He hadn't met many people in his life who had wanted to treat him with any decency. Why should any other human settlement be any different? No bones had as yet been extracted from Talgo's father. The drunkards had been his old self when he was captured, shouting and swearing at both the Skurgs and Talgo. He stank of the drink, and wasn't clear of the head. But after many days of captivity and forced withdrawal from the drink, he had become sober. At first this had only made him worse, he complained of severe headaches and sickness. But when this had faded, he had become much more silent. Each day, Talgo instructed the Skurgs to bring his father to him. They made him kneel in front of him as he sat upon his stone throne, wearing his crown of bones. Each day he would say to him, Father, I wish to know why it was that you treated me so badly. And each day his question was met with silence. Talgo's mother was present for all of these meetings. She would stand in the corner, watching with a tear in her eye as her son demanded answers. Why did you beat me, father? Why did you turn the entire village against me? Did you not see? Did you know nothing of the resentment you created for me? Answer me! Did you know nothing? Silence. Maddening, infuriating silence was all Talgo ever received in return. Until today. While the armies of Fremir and Majira disappeared west, Talgo once again sent a skurg to retrieve his father. When he arrived, Talgo asked him the same question as ever, expecting no answer in return. Father, I wish to know why it was that you treated me so badly. 
The answer came swiftly. Because you deserved it. Jadir fell silent. The assembled Skurgs seemed shocked. Talgo himself merely looked upon his father with disinterested eyes. It was Talgo's mother who finally spoke up. That's not true, she said. It is the truth, Talgo's father insisted. Your mother and I never meant for you to enter this world, but when you did, I immediately felt an evil presence. I knew that you would grow to be bitter and cruel. I should have killed you when you were a babe. Talgo stayed silent, continuing to look down upon his wretched father. The scurgs around him did not move. Finally, he had the courage to speak up. Very well. Take him back to the other prisoners. I shall deal with him on the morrow. The scurgs led his father away while his mother continued to weep. The Freemarian army would not sleep. There were too many sad songs to sing of the lives that were lost in the battle. Too many lost men to honour with tales of their noble deeds. And then there was the excitement which had risen when word spread around the camp that the king would be leaving before sunrise with four of his men to head back to Jadir. Madorn was weary in both body and mind. His thoughts were full of dull premonitions. War, the Jura, Skurgs, relations between the two cities. He could see no positive future for the people of Freynair. No matter the outcome, his people had dark days ahead of them. He would have to remain strong for them. The rain clouds above the men's head had appeared, as though from nowhere. They had opened up and began to pour as the sun had set, and showed no signs of stopping before the dawn. Card had rolled his eyes. Looks as though the master wishes our journey home to be uncomfortable. Why do you wish to spare him, O king? Precisely because of this rain, Madon said. Card looked at his king with confused eyes. My lord? A person beyond all hope would not send rain. Madorn said. He would burn us alive, or part the earth to send us plummeting downwards into whatever lay beneath. Sending some uncomfortable rain is the type of punishment my own daughter would wish upon me if I had sent her to bed early. It is childlike. Well, Card said, we must pray that we arrive back at the volcano before Eldir does. Madorn chuckled. No, Card, let Lord Eldir get there before we do. It will help us. Before setting back for Jadir, Madorn spoke with Ilniard, a nobleman and highly ranked within Freymere's army. He put him in charge. My lord Madorn, Ilniard said, I am grateful for your trust, but I have never been in command of an army before. All you need to do is show them the way home, Madorn said. And you, my lord, what are you going to do? I am going to make peace with the master of Jura. I wish you luck, my lord. The five men mounted their steeds soon after and rode off into the night, while the men of Freymere watched on with some sadness, for it seemed that some thought they would never return. The rain continued to fall, and the night air was cold. The wind flew through the men's hair as they rode forwards, looking out for the top of the volcano as they went. Nobody spoke. The only sound save for the rain was the beating of the horse's hoofs on the grass. The light from the moon and the stars guided the men forth into the unknown of what lay ahead for them. The sky became paler, but the rain remained the same as they reached the volcano. The king and his men had ridden through the entire night before finding Jadir. It loomed as threateningly in the distance as ever, 
The sun began to rise behind the volcano when the men arrived. Jadir was still. There was no sign of Talgo, of the Skurgs, their prisoners, or of King Eldir and his army. Madorn almost wanted to call up the volcano to find out if it was really deserted. Surely we are not the only ones here, Nikil whispered. Where are the master and his slaves? They are here, Madorn said. I can sense it. What of King Eldir and his army? Hillier asked. Jadir is large, Madorn replied. The volcano has the ability to hide an entire army, whether they make noise or not. Let us look round. Madorn led his men around the volcano. As they went, they looked upward, trying to spot some sign of Talgo or the Skurgs, but they could see nothing. It certainly appeared that the volcano had been deserted. Perhaps the master has taken the Skurgs back to the low hills, Denargon suggested. Where then is King Eldir and his army? Card said. Mayhap he has tricked us, Nykeo said. What if he has gone to launch an attack on Fremir? My lords, perhaps we should return. Nay, King Maron said. I saw it in Lord Eldir's eyes. He means to take the Jura. He is bent on it. He is here, somewhere. Only a part of me wishes so, Halir said. They made their way around the volcano with haste, expecting to see the banners of Madeira at any moment. When they had ridden a good distance around, Madorn halted them, raising a hand up in the air. Wait! Listen! The men were still as they did as their king commanded. They strained their ears in effort to hear what Madorn heard. He was glad of the silence from the hoofs of the horses, for now he could hear it clearly. Shouting. Screaming. By the power of Sagorn, Madorn said. The fool is actually battling the master. Nikil, ride ahead and tell us what you can see. Make sure you are not seen. At once, my lord, Nikil said before spurring his horse forwards. While he was gone, there was an anxiety in the air among the reigning four men. He seemed to take an age, and Madon found himself wondering whether perhaps he had been found and killed. But lo, he spun back around the corner some short minutes later, driving his horse forwards with ever more speed. Nikil! Madon shouted. To me! What news? King Eldir launches an attack on the volcano, Nikil said. His archers are trying to shoot the master, but his knights and foot soldiers remain. Does the master retaliate? Madon asked. Yes, he is using the fire jura to burn them. He sends great fireballs from the top of Jadir, but they do not always find their mark. My lord, Card said, what is our plan? Madon looked towards the volcano. An opening with what appeared to be a staircase led inwards and upwards. It was precisely what he had hoped for. There, Madon pointed it out to his men. We go to meet the master of Jura once more. You have been listening to Talgo of Foudrin, a fantasy novella set in the world of Moran by Chris Morris. Come back next week for the next chapter. Joy was the name given to her at birth, and it was long remarked that she might have been the very last thing in the universe to have been named so. The universe is darkening. Joy and happiness is being sucked out of everyone everywhere, and nobody seems to know how or why it's happening, except a young woman who goes by the very name of Joy. She's sure she's found the root cause of it all, 
and she wants to put an end to the universe's misery. Joy has too much at stake to allow grief to overcome the only person she has left. Stealing a spacecraft and crash landing on a frozen planet, Joy begins to use her mysterious sense to track down and experience the memories of a man named Lothar. Through Lothar's various memories of an ancient tradition called Christmas, Joy witnesses the destruction of happiness and watches as a dreadful war claims the lives of many. But how did all of this suffering spread from this planet across the rest of the universe? As sadness begins to overcome Joy herself, there may yet be one chance for both Joy and Lothar to put an end to this spread of distress, but it will require a great sacrifice, one that's too terrible to consider for those that they love. Inspired by the Charles Dickens classic A Christmas Carol, Joy's Lament is a tale of happiness, grief, love and loss. It will be released in Kindle and paperback formats on Wednesday the 1st of December. Pre-order the Kindle version for just 2 dollars now.